Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, intriguing ideas, and lessons learned over time. Let's jump in. In 2018, an unassuming five-pound toy poodle by the name of Pickles from Black Mountain, North Carolina, lost its life after defending the family it loved from a bear. The approximately 200-pound bear had entered the home of Tiffany Merrill after she had opened the door of her home to let their dog out. Tiffany explained that when the bear entered the house, she had screamed out to her children to close their bedroom doors as she didn't want to lead the bear in the direction of her kids. She said, I thought I was going to die. Pickles is recognized as a hero for distracting the bear by barking and ultimately chasing it out of the house, where sadly the bear attacked the dog. Pickles did not survive his injuries. Tiffany Merrill's dog became a hero that day, but the family was devastated. In an interview, Tiffany lamented, he died saving my life. Well, the deep connection between dogs and their owners is undeniable, isn't it, Harris? Yeah, it really is. And Little Pickles is a good example of that. What a loyal little guy. But dogs are prized for their loyalty, aren't they? Yes, they always have been. And yet, how much do we really know about our faithful furry friends? Since we have turned a corner on the dog days of summer, let's dig into this topic. You're so Punny walker. <laughs> so <am>. where does <laughs> that expression, the dog days of summer, actually come from? Well, the term dates back to ancient Rome. People associated the hot summer with the rising dog star Sirius. Oh, okay. Well, I knew you would have that answer, <laughs> being the archaeologist and all that. You are like a dog with a bone when you need to uncover those historic facts, Walker. Oh my God, seriously. Okay, we'll let sleeping dogs lie and get on with it. Oh, again. (laughs) So I thought I knew a lot about dogs, but as I started to dig into this episode's research, I quickly realized I had a lot more to learn. Really? I find that kind of surprising considering we're both dog people. I know, right? Okay, so let's start with their nose. Aw, the little (laughs) schnozzy. Dogs have a pretty phenomenal sense of smell. This I do know. My dogs can smell a burger probably three blocks away. That is because the area of the brain that detects smell is 40 times larger in dogs than in humans. Hmm. And did you know that each dog has a unique nose, just like a unique human fingerprint? I did not know that. I did I have a million of those little (laughs) nose prints all over the back window of my car. Yes, those wet noses, Mm -hmm. damp noses enhance their ability to smell. Really? How do they do that? Well, apparently the wetness captures the scent particles. Then when dogs lick their nose, it allows them to better understand what it is they're smelling. Cool. I just thought it was the way you took a dog's temperature, you know, like wet nose, they're healthy, dry nose, something might be wrong. I did know this though, dog's whiskers allow them to sense air currents, which act like an extra sensory input about where they are in space. I think that might go for most animals, though, who Mm -hmm. have whiskers, right? Yeah, you're right. A lot going on with those little adorable snouts. Mm -hmm. I also read that dogs can sense when we are nervous or scared because they can smell and identify changes in our scent. Oh, really? They're pretty clever little creatures. Mm -hmm. Now, you'll love this, Harris. The bloodhound contracts scents that are over 300 hours old and can follow a trail over 130 miles. Holy. I I knew they had a really good sense of smell, but 130 miles, that is a huge distance. And 
after 300 hours? Seriously? I don't want to do the math on that, but that's a few days. <laughs> Their sense of smell is so reliable that bloodhound evidence is considered reliable in a court of law. Well, I hope they pay those little doggies for their <laughs> professional services. Wasn't there a show called like Doggy DA or something? I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> now the bloodhound may have an attuned sense of smell, but the greyhound skill is their speed, mm -hmm. sometimes to their detriment. Greyhounds are the fastest breed and can run up to 45 miles per hour and can run at high speeds for extended distances. Compare that to the cheetah, who can run up to nearly 70 miles per hour. They can't keep the speed up, though, in longer than 30 seconds. Wow, that's pretty impressive, which is probably why there is the sport of greyhound racing, yes. right? So what about hearing? I swear my dogs have supersonic <laughs> hearing. They can pick up the word walk from two rooms away. You're actually right. Dogs can hear sounds which are four times further away than humans can and at frequencies from 40 hertz to 60,000 hertz. Okay. Humble humans can only hear sounds between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. Okay, that puts it in perspective. I know, right? And according to Crit Ear, you see your dog's ears perk up for what seems like no reason, they're likely picking up on a sound you can't hear. Not ghosts? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you want to hear another fun fact? Oh, uh, you know I do. Uh, well, the song A Day in the Life on the Sgt. Pepper album has a frequency that was added that only dogs can hear. Why on earth would they do that? Uh, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I don't think anyone is sure, Harris, but even though dogs have a great sense of hearing, puppies are born deaf. Oh. Yeah. Apparently, it's their last sense to develop. Okay. They're deaf until approximately 2.5 to 3 weeks old. Hearing continues to develop until approximately 8 weeks of age. Oh, little cuties mm -hmm. at 8 weeks of age. And dog ears can tell us a lot about what they're feeling, too. There are, in fact, a whopping 18 muscles in a dog's ear. If a dog's ears are gently pulled back, accompanied by a happy tail wag, it means they're feeling friendly and up for some cuddles. Aww. If their ears are flat and pinned back or to the sides, your pooch is definitely signaling fearful dog body language. Hmm. You have to watch for those flattened ears. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Depending on the overall body language you see with the flattened ears, it might be a submissive gesture or even a precursor to an attack. One of my dogs, S'more, she flattens her ears when we take her out for a walk like she, she I think it's because she likes to be streamlined you know <laughs> running through the she wind bringing out her inner greyhound <laughs> that's right but it's always like when she's super happy or yeah. wanting to play as you say but my other dog she only flattens her ears when she's being submissive oh yeah. interesting yeah. I guess just as different from each other as people are yeah did you know that dogs are said to have the same intelligence as a two-year-old? I could have told you that, Walker. <laughs> Did you know why, though? No. Dogs can actually understand a little over a hundred words. Oh, wow. But, but, there was once even a border collie named Chaser who had the largest vocabulary of any dog, 1,022 words. Whoa, a real smarty pants. I know. Not only that, Chaser apparently could categorize things by their function and shape, which puts him at the intelligence level of a three-year-old human. And perhaps even smarter than some <laughs> adult humans. So true. Yeah. Dogs even have a notion of time as well. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, meaning that they can tell the difference between one hour and several hours. Oh, okay. I wonder if cats are different though. I would definitely say that my dogs can sense the passage of time, mm -hmm. especially if I'm out for a longer period of time. Right. They get a little antsy. 
But my cats, they they don't recognize me coming in the door, <laughs> even if it's been like 18 hours. I don't think they care much if I'm home or not. <laughs> you might be right about that. Yeah. Okay, so it's my turn for a fun but crazy fact. Okay. You know when you take your dog out to do their business and they take absolutely forever, Walker? Boy, do I. Yeah. <laughs> So according to the Drake Center for Veterinary Care, your dog is doing this because they have a preference for doing their business in alignment with the Earth's magnetic field. What? Uh-huh. Isn't that crazy? Okay, that's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Now I've got one for you too, though. Maybe not as crazy. Did you know that there's evidence that dogs are righties or lefties? Like a dominant paw? Uh-huh. Wow. Supposedly, there's evidence to indicate that dogs have a paw that they prefer to use. Cool. And according to PDSA, which is the People's Dispensary for Pets in Need, you can see which paw your dog prefers by seeing which paw they use first to play with their toy. Okay, well, Olay is definitely right pod. Did you ever teach your dogs to shake? Yeah, I did. Though Olay likes to say hello by pawing your leg and removing all the flesh on your shins. That's the oh. way she like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our old dog did the same. He was uh, a husky Basenji mix. Oh, wow. A Basenji. Yeah. They actually call them the barkless dogs. Their barks are more like yodels. Huh. Though I think Congo was more husky because he definitely had a big bark. Oh, wow. Barking and yodeling, I imagine, are one of the major ways that dogs communicate. Yeah. I don't know about the yodeling, but yeah. (laughs) Likely one of the most challenging parts of dog ownership, though, is learning how to communicate effectively. Mm -hmm. What do these barks and other sounds mean? Mm -hmm. How do we interpret their body language? You know, that sort of thing. Since we don't speak their language, this is tricky. Yeah, absolutely. Today, we are fortunate to have the opportunity to speak with Chris Diefenthaler of the Assistance Dogs international there can be no relationship between dog and human that requires more reliable communication than when it can be a matter of life and death welcome to at home and abroad chris yeah well thank you for having me so i think we might as well start off uh with your origin story chris what is the origin story of assistance dogs international and maybe you could explain as well the role that adi plays today yeah absolutely Um, Well, the organization was actually formed back in the mid-1980s, and it was formed um, about the same time of the um, American with Disabilities Act became law in the United States, which actually granted public access for other types of assistance dogs other than the guide dogs for the visually impaired. They were well known since really the 1940s. Um, And so guide dogs have been around a long time. Everybody knew about guide dogs and their role. Mm -hmm. And then really in the 1970s became the emergence of, well, dogs could also be trained to provide assistance with other disabilities. Really the next type of assistance dogs was really the hearing dog, someone that is deaf or very hard of hearing, may have trouble in hearing alarms, hearing the phone ring, hearing someone call their name, hearing the baby cry. And those are all things that a dog can be trained to do to alert someone who is deaf or hard of hearing. Yeah, all those basic needs that we don't think about, right, as a hearing person. 
Exactly. Um, so these organizations that were training and placing hearing dogs, primarily, there was seven of them, I believe. Six were hearing dog programs, and there was one assistance dogs or service dog program at the time. And they came together realizing they really needed to come together to help promote the concept of dogs providing services to other types of disabilities, as well as a, a real community awareness campaign on the public access privileges that have now been granted to those individuals that have those types of dogs. So that's how the organization really started. They started off with a what's called standards of excellence. They also knew that there was a lot of variables with organizations that were training different types of assistance dogs, and they wanted to ensure a high quality dog was being trained and placed um, for individuals to know that the organization they're working with was producing a high quality dog and that they were ethics in their daily operations. Yeah, that would be critical. Yeah. So since then, uh, in early 2000s, ADI then changed it from standards of excellence to standards and then adopted and developed an accreditation process that programs could then measure their implementation of those standards so they could go through an accreditation process to prove that they were indeed operating at the ADI standards. That must give people a real feeling of safety and security, knowing that that standard is there, the accreditation. Yeah, it's really for the public's protection and for the person receiving a dog by someone that is going to an ADI accredited member organization. They know that dog has been specifically selected for them and their disability. The dog is um, proven to have the skills have the proper temperament and personality to be out in public, to work in a home environment, and really provide that individual the, the sense that they are dealing with a very reputable organization. Are there organizations around the world that are implementing these standards and, and being accredited by ADI? Yes, we do. We have 205 accredited or candidate programs. Accredited members are programs that have completed the accreditation process. And it's a very comprehensive program to complete the accreditation process. It's a thorough examination of all of their policies and procedures. And then um, in addition to that, there is then a site visit where a trained assessor comes to their facility, stays there usually two to three days, depending on the size of the organization. And they conduct also interviews with staff, with volunteers, board members, clients, to ensure that the policies really are being implemented as written. 
Um, it's one thing to have a policy on paper. We want to make sure that everybody knows the policies exactly. and that those policies are being followed. So um, it's really quite a process that our programs have to go through to become accredited. So they're usually very proud of the fact that they are now, when they pass successfully, that they are a, an accredited member of ADI. And so the first step for programs that want to become an accredited member is they apply to become a candidate program. They have to also complete an application. They also have to complete an interview. The objective there is that we think they have enough of history that within a two to five year period, they will be able to complete the accreditation process. And that during that two to five year process, ADI is also providing them with all sorts of educational materials, um, a learning management system to help guide them so they can become an accredited member, as well as any support they need along the way. Well, so there's a lot of follow through after. Oh, very much so. Our standards and accreditation process are the gold standards of the industry globally. Mm -hmm. um, and our other objectives are really around education. We are um, a firm believer that education, continued education of our members, of all of their staff to improve their operations, even go above ADI standards if possible. So we do have a very thorough education program, a resource center that is available to all of our members and candidate programs. And we are offering webinars, again, just to make sure that they're getting the information on the latest trends in the industry. Mm -hmm. This industry is evolving and changing very Frequently, So we want to make sure that our members are kept informed and uh, they have the information they need. And uh, the other objective we have is really about community awareness and ensuring that our clients are programs that their clients have the public access privileges that are guaranteed to them uh, all around the world globally depending on the different legislation and advocacy and public laws in all different countries, it does vary quite a bit. So we do have members in, I think it's 24 countries um, around the world. And um, it is. And we are continuing to grow and continuing to try to reach those countries or regions where we don't have any members. Well, the need, I'm sure, is just everywhere globally. Absolutely. And growing every day, I imagine, as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So there must be training required for the owner, too. So can you explain for us what's involved to ensure seamless communication between a dog and their new charge? Yeah, absolutely. Um ADI doesn't necessarily dictate in our standards all of the intricacies of what is required, but we do have um, certain overall uh, standards that help the programs direct what training needs to be done. But the obviously goal is to make sure that the client 
and the dog are matched, they're matched appropriately for the type of dog that their disability really needs. The skills of the dog are trained for that individual. And so when that client or individual receives their dog, then they need to learn how to properly care for the dog how to care for the dog physically, but also emotionally. Dogs are very emotional. They are very bonded with their individuals. So they have emotional needs as well. So we want to make sure it is a two-way communication between the individual and their dog and that their dog's needs are being met as well as the client's needs are being met. They also have to learn about the specific tasks that the dog was trained to do for them as well as the actual training methods on how they accomplished those tasks and how to keep those tasks current. And the dog is a living being. They they do change. They do ebb and flow. So if a task isn't used for a while, the dog may forget part of it or not be as proficient with it. So they may need some guidance to help for the dog to remember what they learned. Almost like continuing education. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Once, once a client and a dog are matched, most clients will say, I almost don't even have to ask the dog to do what I need it to do. The dog just learns and learns my routine, learns my body language, and almost consents what I need even before I would even ask it. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. There's such intuitive creatures aren't they and they are very connected to to humans and I guess have been for so long in history what I would like to ask you Chris is there's such a wide range of disability out there outside of you know perhaps what we were originally having service dogs for in the vision and the hearing world So are there specific breeds that are better at servicing some clients with certain disabilities than others? How are dogs matched? ADI standards certainly do not dictate what breeds of dogs can be used. And a lot of times it depends on the temperament and the tendencies of a particular breed that makes them maybe a great hearing dog. A great hearing dog would be a dog that is very aware of its surroundings, very aware of sounds. And a lot of times hearing dogs, they don't have to be, but they tend to be smaller. Um, And uh, But there are certainly some labs and golden retrievers or larger dogs that are hearing dogs as well. But I would say most of our hearing dog programs will use smaller to medium-sized dogs. But as far as breed goes, we're more concerned about the temperament and the personality of the dog being well-matched for that individual. I will say a majority of our programs do use Labrador retrievers or golden retrievers, again, because of their temperament, easy training, they um, pick up on things really quickly, and the public also views them as very friendly and outgoing. That has to be an important piece. Also, that that visual perception, because there are people who are hesitant or even fearful of dogs. So having a, a breed that is just more friendly yeah. or appears yeah. to be more friendly is something to consider. 
it's not required, but yeah. um, it certainly is um, an added bonus, I guess I would say, if the if the public views that particular breed as a friendly type dog. But it is is certainly not required. There's some great dogs out there that um, some of the public may be intimidated with, such as even the German Shepherds. Um, right. But they make great guide dogs, um, service dogs in a lot of cases. So. Um, yeah. There really isn't a specific breed, but I will say most use Lab and Goldens primarily due to the success rate. Um, those dogs are, because um, of their trainability and their temperament and dispositions, they tend to have a, have a higher success rate of making it all the way to placement. Right. And they're just overall sweet, sweet dogs. Could you tell me, because we've talked a little bit about service versus assistance dogs. Is it nuanced? What is the difference between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. Terminology is a really difficult issue for the industry. Um, there are so many terms that are thrown out there. Um, support dogs, emotional support dogs, right. service dogs, psychiatric service dogs. So ADI, our terminology is the term assistance dogs generally is the umbrella term for the different types of assistance dogs. So okay. um, guide dogs for the visually impaired or blind hearing dogs for the hearing impaired or deaf, and then service dogs is probably the broadest category. It originally started in the 1970s for dogs that primarily assisted individuals with mobility impairments. And that category has grown as the number of disabilities has expanded what dogs can provide assistance to. Now there are autism service dogs, there are seizure service dogs, could be seizure response or seizure alert, medical alert service dogs, psychiatric service dogs. So the service dog category now really fits all other types of disabilities that a dog can be trained to do. Okay. Yeah, that has to be very challenging in terms of training. I'm sure there's a certain very select focus for different disabilities and different clients that you're training dogs towards. When you have a puppy who is a candidate, one of your organizations has a, a puppy or a young dog that's a candidate to be a service or assistance dog. Are they already thinking of a client in mind or is it a set of disabilities in mind or does that vary from organization to organization? Yeah, usually organizations decide to focus on certain types of dogs that they train. Okay. There isn't an organization that does it all. Or very, right. Okay. Very, very few. Um, most organizations realize there's a higher need of a particular type of dog or they have a higher expertise in a certain area, or um, they just feel that this is where they want to focus their programming on. And it could be a couple different dogs. It doesn't have to just be one type. But as far as programs, when they get a puppy, there's no real predictor if that dog is going to be a good match for somebody as a two-year-old dog when the dog would be placed. So most programs, when they bring in puppies or young dogs, they go through uh, pretty much a set um, training regimen that all of their dogs go through. And okay. because a lot of the training is based on really the good basics, learning how to learn and mm -hmm. 
how how that happens uh, with positive reinforcement training. So that and living in a house, that's why we how important volunteer puppy raisers are. There is a global shortage of volunteers, volunteer foster homes, puppy raisers. Really? Um, can, yes, it's a it's a big shortage globally post pandemic. It was oh. probably teetering that way before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, then individuals certainly stepped up. They felt, Lord, I'm going to be home anyway, happy to take on a dog or a puppy during this time that we have. Mm -hmm. And then when the world opened back up, everybody went back to work. They went back to their routines. And so the shortage of volunteers also, um, it was a kind of a, a yin and a yang effect of what happened. Right. So right now there is a big shortage of volunteer puppy raisers. And that's such a key important role for dogs to get during their training career is just how to be in a family. Yeah. And and to be socialized with humans in oh, a yes. home. So it's Absolutely. not a bit a, a drastic change when they when they are matched with their client. So if somebody wanted to be a volunteer uh puppy raiser, just asking for a friend, um <laughs> do would they could they find uh information on that on your website, Chris? Yeah, we do certainly um encourage that, but we actually recommend that they contact organizations in their own community. Okay. There are some organizations that will use puppy raisers throughout, say, the United States. Um, Some are more specific where their puppy raisers have to be within a certain geographical area. So we always say go local first. Okay. Find the organization. Our member search on our website, that's all by location. So um, you just put your location in. It will give you a list of organizations that are in that general vicinity in that state in the United States or country if you're outside the United States. Then we recommend contacting them and find out what their needs are and how they could help. And I guess that would be the same pathway someone would follow if they themselves felt like they were in need of a service dog or somebody in their own family would also be in need of a service dog. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly is a buyer beware market for somebody looking to get an assistance dog. Um, there are unfortunately um, some unscrupulous people out there that say they can train an assistance dog and really they don't have the knowledge or the skills. And then a client may receive a dog that is ill-trained or not properly trained. And that dog is then not any help to someone with a disability. Um, So it is really, we tell anybody inquiring to get an assistance dog to do their research and really pick the organization that best fits their needs. Mm -hmm. And look for organizations that perhaps are accredited by Assistance Dogs International, because that could be really a life-threatening situation. If you have a mismatch. Yeah, in some cases it could. Um, So, yes, we certainly advocate that we hope they select one of our members because those members do come with a reputation as well as their um, credibility on being an accredited member. And the client or potential applicant would know that organization is meeting all of ADI standards. 
-hmm. because the accreditation process not only has to be successfully completed, it has to be renewed every five years. So they go through a complete reaccreditation every five years. Excellent. So you know that those standards, no matter when you are approaching them, those standards continue to be to be met. So clients can feel very, very comfortable and reassured if they know they've been accredited by ADI. You do very good work. It's very, very important work. I've seen service dogs and assistant dogs in action, and it is an incredible thing to see not only how well trained they are to respond to their people, but also that beautiful bond that grows between between the person and their their assistance dog. So yeah. hats off to you, Chris, and and all of your member organizations as well. It has been such a pleasure talking with you today. If you would like to learn more about the incredible work of Assistance Dogs International, you may visit their website at www.assistancedogsinternational.org or on Instagram at, at ADIINTL. Thanks so much, Chris. This has been a really enlightening conversation and a very important one, too. Well, thank you for having us and um, appreciate the information getting out to those that really need it. That was an incredibly illuminating chat. Mm -hmm. There is so much to learn about our canine companions, but there really is so much misinformation out there, isn't there? Mm -hmm. There certainly is. Like so many people believe that dogs are colorblind. Wrong. Yep. Wrong. Exactly. (laughs) They have fewer color receptors, but they can see grays, blues, and even yellows. And you know that old expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yep. Well, it may be more appropriate for humans than for dogs. According to an article for Top Dog Tips, you can teach an old dog new tricks, and it actually may be good for old dogs cognitively. I've always believed that your dog's age in human years can be determined by multiplying their age by seven, but this is actually not considered to be accurate. Some dog breeds have shorter lifespans, and of course, larger dogs age faster than smaller dogs. Well, despite the ongoing challenge of understanding our pets and their needs, it is so worth investing the time and energy into our relationships with our dogs, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. The American Kennel Club outlines many physical and mental benefits to dog ownership. And one that I know well is that they get us out and walking and running. My dogs were my saviors during the months of lockdown. A 2019 British study stated that dog owners are almost four times more likely to hit their daily physical activity targets than those without dogs. And they also spend 200 more minutes walking on a daily basis. That is a huge difference. Huge difference. Dog owners also tend to be more social as well and less isolated. You know, you always are chit-chatting in the dog park. The dogs are a great conversation starter. Yeah, I completely agree. An article by Drake Veterinary Care highlights studies that have shown that blood pressure can be lowered by 10% if you pet a dog for 15 minutes. So it's not a surprise then that our doggy friends are often welcome visitors to hospitals and senior homes Mm -hmm. because they offer unconditional companionship to those who might be isolated, depressed, or even lonely. But funnily enough, too, one study showed that 39% of 2,000 Americans who had a history of using dating apps 
thousand of which were dog owners, said they swiped right on a profile just to meet the person's dog. No. Yes, not the person themselves. <laughs> I think I would do that. Somehow <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> 63% said they felt a cute dog in their profile increased their dating success on the app, mm. which it probably did. And yes, funnily enough, 39% of people borrowed a dog to help their chances. Ugh. Yeah. And roughly 50% of those people who chose someone with a borrowed dog were very unhappy when they found out the truth. <laughs> yeah. You got to love those poochies. Mm-hmm. They lend an element of responsibility, caregiving, and capacity for love to the people attached to them. Yeah. And back to those service dogs, there are dogs who are employed in all kinds of fields and professions like search and rescue, uncovering drugs and weapon smuggling, and so much more, right? Yeah. Did you know that in 1916, Dr. Gerhard Stalling opened the first school for training guide dogs in Oldenburg, Germany, in an attempt to support thousands of visually impaired soldiers? No, I didn't. Wow, that's like over 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you that I was a... Gu- that no, you were a guide dog? <laughs> were you a guide dog walker? This is something you probably don't know. Did I ever tell you that I was guided home once by a dog? No, tell me the story. Well, we were in France on our honeymoon and we were eating at a restaurant in town very late at night. When we were finished our meal, the restaurant owner had said that the dog would escort us back to our hotel. Oh. Now, we weren't 100% sure where the hotel was, and it was pitch black out, so we are like, okay, sure. Yeah, we'll take the <laughs> Why escort. Why not, right? Yeah. Well, we were a bit skeptical, but we took we took his word for it and followed the dog, and sure enough, the dog led us right to the front gate of our hotel. Oh my God, that's adorable. What kind of dog was it? I, I don't know. I think it was just a mix. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's super cute. I love that story. Not only are dogs helpful in helping get people to safety, like you and your hubby to your hotel, but some dogs may even be able to detect medical conditions such as cancer. Crazy. Yeah. Cancer cells release metabolic waste products that our body's healthy cells don't. So dogs might be able to sniff out cancer cells just by smelling our breath. That's remarkable. I know. This reminds me of the beloved Newfoundland dog. Do you know these dogs? Yes. Big, They're gentle, beautiful. They're gorgeous. Beautiful. They Yeah. And they're perfectly suited for saving drowning people because they have webbed feet and water resistant coats. I had no idea that they had webbed feet. That's insane. I had no idea either. So we've established how lovable and helpful dogs can be. But did you know that Germany topped the charts for having the highest rate of dog ownership among EU countries in 2021? I did not know that. Yeah, Germany actually brought forth a law as well that requires dog owners to walk their dog twice a day for a minimum of 30 minutes a time for a total of one hour a day. Wow, they certainly take that dog ownership seriously, legislating that. I know. So do we in North America, but we prefer to spend a lot of money on our pets rather than legislate their walks. Right, we certainly do. Now, I spend a lot of money on my pet, on mostly on food and veterinary service, but my bulldog isn't going to the spa or getting her nails done, that's for sure. Uh, nor mine, though owning and caring for dogs is pretty pricey. And we do bend over backwards in our love for them, don't we, Walker? We do. Again, according to Drake Veterinary Clinic, 45% of dogs sleep in their owner's bed. Mm. 
Do your dogs sleep in your bed? No. My God. If my dog slept in my bed, there would be no room for me or my husband. They're huge. My dog wouldn't be able to get up and down from my bed because her legs are too short. I wonder if this creates relationship problems for some people. I'm sure it does. In fact, I was watching a reality show the other day. Oh, yeah? It was such a ridiculous concept. But anyway, it was a dating show. And one of the the women was like, listen, if you can't accept my dog in the bed, then I don't think this is going to work out honey yeah that's yeah so for many yeah and i think the show is called ultimatum oh what yeah i think it was so for many people dogs are very much like their children or at minimum a very important family member according to georgia veterinary associates more than 50 percent of families include their dog in their holiday photos so we raise them we nurture them we love them and we even share custody of them but would you vote for them to be mayor There was a dog on the ballot in our last election here in Toronto. There was, and I think he was pretty (laughs) successful too. But in 2012, the town of Idlewild, California, actually elected a dog for mayor. Love that. Mayor Max. He was a golden retriever, which is so adorable. And after his passing, his position was filled by Mayor Max too. I bet Mayor Max 1 and 2 were better than a few of our mayors here. Oh, hands down, (laughs) hands down. But they aren't the only dogs in public life. Have you ever heard of Barry the St. Bernard? No, but being a St. Bernard, I bet he was a lifesaver. For sure, he was. In fact, he's gone down in history as the most successful search and rescue dog. During his lifetime, during the early 1800s, he's said to have saved the lives of about 40 people in 12 years. He's very well known in Switzerland as a national hero. And I'm just going to take you on a little side route here, Walker. When I was in Switzerland, we visited a training center for St. Bernard puppies. Really? Yeah. You couldn't interact with the puppies because they were being trained to be search and rescue dogs, but they were just these huge bundles of (laughs) fluff and fun. It was the most adorable little side trip. Anyway. I bet. Back to what we're talking about here. Dogs are often also depicted as heroes in television and movies too. Like Lassie and the Littlest Hobo. Maybe tomorrow (laughs) it's time to settle down. I love that show. Such a wholesome, feel-good show. Always on the move and always there in the nick of time (laughs) to help. But there were a lot of other influential dogs behind the scenes too, like George Lucas's dog. He was supposedly the inspiration for the famous little Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. Oh, they were so cute. More bear-like than dog-like, but okay. I know. They were more like little bears. I'll give you that for sure. And Walt Disney's dog is said to have inspired Disney's Lady and the Tramp. Hmm. He was a little rapscallion, wasn't he? A little rough (laughs) around the edges. But far beyond the silver screen, dogs have made the history books too. Did you know that three dogs, two Pomeranians and a Pekingese, survived the sinking of the Titanic? I don't think I've ever heard anything about pets being aboard at all. I know. I hadn't either. And then there's Laika, one of the most famous dogs of all time. Yes. So Laika, a dog, was the first living creature sent into space on November 3rd, 1957, aboard the Soviet Union Sputnik 2 satellite. Poor Laika died after a few orbits of the Earth due to a malfunction in the cooling system, though it really was never expected that she would return which is very sad. Her life and death informed future forays into space. Like it was not only a dog, but an adventurer and pioneer, though it must be said she had little choice in the matter. Yeah, we'll pick up on that thread in another episode, Harris. For now, we just want to pay tribute to all of those dogs who have laid down their lives in service and love for their people. 
Yeah. In the words of Roger Karras, American wildlife photographer and writer, if you don't own a dog, at least one, there's not necessarily anything wrong with you, but there may be something wrong with your life. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. Subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can also say hi to us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker. We would love to hear from you.